Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Brad Spielberger from PFF joins us here. I'm Brian No in for JMV on the fan. Brad, what's going on, man? Was it a Merry Christmas for you? Do you celebrate the holidays in grand fashion? Uh, not not too grand, but yeah, it was a Merry Christmas on my end. You know, I'm getting old now, so I got some cool socks. That was the highlight of the uh, of the festivities. How about yourself? Uh, it was great. You know, we went uh, we went conservative as far as the gift giving this year. Where my girlfriend, she just has a, a funny game where you buy a good gift, you know, like twenty dollars or less, and then like a gag gift, something that's just silly and funny. And so you roll the dice, there are numerous rounds, you steal presents, you trade presents, this whole thing. And I ended up with two decks of playing cards. That, that, were, that were my <laughs> Christmas gifts. Two decks of playing cards right there. So, And I was fine with that. I was cool with it. A little Batman. Yeah, you could do worse. Yeah, yeah, you could do a lot worse than that. What were the socks? What were the themes of the socks there? Yeah, so it was like a half dozen pairs. Some Christmas with some reindeers on there. You know, uh... Uh, one football related as well. Yeah, Chicago Bears suck, so you know I'm I'm ready any given Sunday to uh, to look the part. Wait a minute, you got Chicago Bears suck socks? Did I hear that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. You, nice Chicago C on there. Blue socks, orange C. You know, very very festive and uh, you know good good for uh, if I need a lucky pair of socks on a Sunday maybe. Uh, once the Bears are playing meaningful football, if that ever happens, I'll, I'll bust those out. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, Brad, so look, I want to start broad, and we'll whittle it down to the Colts here. But there might be a Colts player on this list. I always find it interesting. Is there a player or a couple of players around the league where they tend to have really good reputations, but this season specifically, the numbers tell you, man, they are just not playing up to expectation or reputation right here right now is there anybody that off the top of your head falls into that category yeah i guess maybe not his reputation was was sterling for this season in particular but but i did find it fascinating when the ravens gave odell beckham jr a 15 million dollar fully guaranteed one-year contract and i guess one other uh, i could throw in um, look, Deron Bland has been incredible. What he's done the last couple of years and, and turning the ball over so many times, all the pick sixes, the record for most pick sixes in a season, it's all awesome. Obviously stepping in to replace the Trevon Diggs. At the same time, though, he's also allowed a ton of receiving yards. Um, over, the, over the second half of the season in particular, he's been getting picked on a little bit. So, again, these are, these are great players, and, and we're kind of – finding ways to nitpick their game. But um, I think he's been, he's been figured out to a degree uh, over the second half of the season. How about the other way where reputation-wise, they don't get a whole lot of love, but individually this season, they're doing really, really well. Who are a couple of players as far as that goes? Yeah, one I do want to shout out for sure is Malcolm Kuntz, who's an edge rusher for the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, they use a top 10 pick on Tyree Wilson, hoping he'd come along and be that number two opposite of a Max Crosby. And instead, so far, is this third year breakout for a Malcolm Kuntz, particularly the last six weeks, eight, uh, you know, two months or so, he's been way out there in pass rush win rate, pressure rate, 
Um, all of these categories, not just getting the sacks, which have been coming as well, but the underlying metrics, super, super strong, too. Um, it, it's been a third-year breakout for Malcolm Coons with the Ravens. Isn't that crazy, too, where they draft Tyree Wilson number seven overall, and yet it's the third-year, third-round pick, Malcolm Coons, who's coming on out of Khalil Mack University, right? I think they just renamed that over there at Buffalo. But you're right. He's playing really, really well. And it just shows you what the crapshoot the draft is, where the seventh overall pick, eh, not great so far. But the third round pick, he's crushing it. The light bulb is turned on. It's just wild how that goes. It's also a great reminder, and it's very hard, especially even in what I do. I tell myself this over and over again, and then sometimes I forget. But we got to remember, and not to always you know, blame coaches or position coaches or things like that, but there are so many extremely talented football players. These are already, you know, 99th percentile athletes and football players. And if they come in and maybe aren't super productive the first year or two of their career, maybe it's not their fault. And maybe they're not, you know, not working hard, training behind the scenes, hitting the weight room, all those things. They just need to be put in the right position or just kind of have the light bulb go on. Like you said, something clicks and they take that next step. Um, like I said, even I fall for this and, you know, you label guys bust or, or say, you know, the story is written, um, you know, uh, until three three years or so uh, and maybe a coaching change, you know, to mention the Raiders specifically, because Kuntz has really come on since it's, it's gone to Antonio Pierce and maybe he saw something that Josh McDaniels did not. Um, and that's kind of been the light bulb moment in, in Las Vegas. He's uh, Brad Spielberger from PFF joining us here on The Fan. How about if we look at a couple of teams? And maybe look at one side of the football where let's talk overrated, where they have a good reputation. But man, if you look at this team's offense or this team's defense, statistically, the stats don't measure up to the expectations or the perception of them. Who would that be? I guess, unfortunately, uh, I will be honest. When that comes to mind, and look, they, they found ways to overcome a lot of deficiencies, and obviously they are working with a second string quarterback. But the, the Colts' ability to score 20-plus points in, you know, what is it, almost every game, save for two games this year, is kind of remarkable considering the underlying numbers really aren't all that strong uh, for the Indianapolis Colts. They're 18th in EPA per play on offense. Uh, they are 22nd in success rate. So, you know, on a down-to-down basis, on an efficiency basis, on an explosiveness basis, they haven't been stellar. Um, but I think it honestly speaks to more and more. Just Shane Sykin, you know, down in the red area doing very well, on scripted drives in the first and second half doing well. So, yeah, again, I don't know if they have a perception as being this juggernaut, but but they've scored, you know, points-wise, maybe above their actual down-to-down efficiency, which, hey, you, you know, you'll, you'll take it with, with a backup quarterback in Gardner Mitchell. Right. Would you look at that more positively? That's more glass-half-full where – whether it's smoke and mirrors, however they're doing it, they've had some injuries with QB, wide receiver Pittman Jr. misses, and the you know the down-to-down stats aren't great, but they're still putting up points. Would you look at that positively and say, when they upgrade the talent, you're cooking with grease with Shane Steichen. He's proven he can put up points with what they have to work with right now. That's how I would look at it. Is that what you would look at it uh, from a, a numbers perspective as well? Exactly right. Right, where you'd say, okay, if this if these were the guys that they were working with, maybe it's cause for concern. And you say, all right, there could be some negative regression here, and, and their scoring of points is going to start to level out with their actual efficiency on a down to down basis. However, 
you drop in a top five pick quarterback that also opens up different elements of your offense, the downfield passing game, obviously his legs as a rusher. And you say clearly Shane Sykin can, you know, adapt on a week to week basis or a quarterback to quarterback basis and shape an offense around the talent he has and find ways to overcome, you know, any issues that may arise over the course of the season, Michael Pittman injury, the line injury, what, you know, Jonathan Taylor injury, what have you. I think in this particular context, you do probably take it as a, as a positive going forward. How about the other side? Last one, as far as all this goes, where if you look at reputation wise, uh, this team has a pretty good reputation, but the numbers say they're actually underperforming, whether it be the offensive or defensive side of the ball. That's a good one. Uh, you know, I think it's a little bit tougher. Uh, obviously, people now know the Chiefs are really, really struggling. I think they were finding ways to win games even when that was already the case earlier on in the year. I guess I'll give you another one, kind of cat out of the bag too, but, you know, the Eagles. And, again, people seem to have caught on at this point. But it was the, the warning bells were there, and they were, you know, 8-0 or 7-0, whatever it was to start the year. And it was still – there were some issues particularly – um, you know, in, in sustaining these longer drives and, and things of that nature. Um, but again, I, I think, uh, you know, it's hard to, hard to hide those things for 16 weeks. Eventually, uh, the truth comes out. Um, how about this also? I'm trying to figure out the Colts offensive line where running-wise, there are games where they're great, well over 100 yards, and there are games where they're not even approaching 100 yards. And I know they've had some injuries. Braden Smith has been dinged up. That's made a difference. But I think of a team like the Dolphins. They've had plenty of offensive line injuries with Teron Armstead, Austin Jackson, yet they're number five in team rushing. So when you're looking at the Colts offensive line, you're looking at the numbers and you're looking at the reasons why they're so inconsistent. What would you point to? Yeah, and like you said, the entries are certainly a part of it. Um, you know, I also think you have seen a ton of growth from a Bernard Ryman at left tackle, from a Will Fries at right guard. Um, but I think in particular, I've noticed them get better as pass protectors. And, you know, there, there are some, you know, weeks here, here or there where they get a tougher matchup against an opponent they don't particularly line up well against, and, and that can falter. But, you know, you know, yards before contact is probably my favorite running the football attempt uh, set, sorry, from an offensive line standpoint where – how much are they clearing in front of them? The Colts are 26th in yards before – oh, wait, excuse me. Looking at that wrong. Uh, no, no, take that back. Take that back. Uh, the Colts are up there. The Colts are top 10 in yards before contact per attempt. Um, it's yards after contact. So bouncing off some of those tackles, some of those shoestring tackles or guys going up high, uh, they need to kind of you know, get better at bouncing off of that. And, and presumably, you know, that's where a Jonathan Taylor can kind of separate from a Zach Moss and some others. Is that – Something you would look at and say, ooh, that's alarming. It's one thing for, listen, if the the running back is running into a brick wall, that's one thing. But if he's having a harder time than he previously did, bouncing off of tackles, and is that alarming when it comes to Jonathan Taylor specifically? It could be for sure, yes. Yeah. So my apologies, I flipped those, yes. So, so good before contact, poor after contact. I, I think there is some variance in that to a degree. Um, mm-hmm. But I do also think it's one of the signals we see, for example, here's one perfect example for you last year. A lot of people see Dalvin Cook at Cut in Minnesota. They say, this guy's had 1,000 rushing yards three years in a row. He, he's a good three-down player. He can pass block. He can catch the ball. Why would Minnesota do this? His yards after contact was one of the worst in the entire National Football League last year. And he did have a shoulder issue that you could see on film. 
he'd occasionally kind of go down or just favor that shoulder. But nevertheless, you know, early career down Cook could run over some players or I always thought he was phenomenal, chopping his feet, getting through those, those kind of ankle-grabbing tackles. So, yeah, it is one particular area of note. But, but I wouldn't say Jonathan Taylor, you know, as of yet, get a full season, get him in a rushing game with a dynamic quarterback, um, and I think he can bounce back to his, you know, all-pro rushing title level. Do you think Anthony Richardson can be that dynamic quarterback for the Colts? I do. I, I certainly have no indication as to why he cannot be. Um, you know, it's the, what we saw in, yes, a small sample, a limited sample, but, you know, super young draft prospect, not the most experienced at the college level. Um, I think he still has a phenomenal pocket presence, a good pressure to sack rate, basically. You know, we, we say pressure is probably the offensive line's fault. Uh, the, the taking a sack is very often uh, the quarterback's fault. And he was incredible at that in college. It, it translated pretty well so far to his NFL career. Um, just, just a good kind of third eye in the back of his head and, and feeling pressure, which is one of the hardest things for a lot of these young quarterbacks to do. Um, you know, I think you'll see the accuracy improve over time. I think you'll see him get more and more comfortable, you know, going to the third, fourth, reading a progression, all of those things that every quarterback is working with. But the foundation right now of – he has the ability and the elusiveness to, to bail and, and pick up you know, great scramble yards, but also doesn't do it too often. Trust the protection, stays in when appropriate, and also bounces out when appropriate. Yeah, like I said, it was a small sample, but everything I saw from, from Richardson uh, was highly encouraging. He's Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus joining us here on The Fan. Okay, so from a PFF perspective, Brad, I like to give you a blank canvas. You know, I feel like... <laughs> my nephew has a dog that is kind of like a herding dog. You know what I mean? It, it kind of steers you in a certain direction. I feel like sometimes the questions do that. They steer you in a certain area. I like to give you a blank canvas, you know? Anything from a numbers perspective that you find to be pretty interesting, maybe as we inch closer to playoff time, where you just hey, man, this stands out. This is something useful that you need to know. What would that be in your mind? So, so can you kind of break it a little bit more in terms of just like a, like a narrative or, or like what do you mean by that? Just any number that stands out to you where you're like, holy cow, Tampa's number one in pass block win rate or whatever. Just anything that stands out where you're like, that is an eye-popping number right there. Where if you didn't dive into the numbers as deep as you do, you would most likely be unaware of that. I gotcha. I hear you for sure. So, yeah, Tampa is interesting. You probably just mentioned it random, uh, but we just talked about pressure to sack rate. I think that is the biggest reason why Baker Mayfield's taking that step forward uh, in Tampa. But for me, it's probably let's just go back to last night. And I think there's been so much conversation of how do all these top teams fare uh, against the better opponents in the NFL? Um, and it's not the greatest barometer. We shouldn't have this emphasis on just a smaller sample of a few games. You know, every game does matter. What the Baltimore Ravens defense has been able to do against Seattle, Detroit, Jacksonville, and of course now last night against Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers, it's in a world of its own in terms of the performance against the elite offenses of the NFL. You know, every game matters. Anything can swing in a different direction, but I think it is the number one stat to me right now that jumps out to where maybe it's, you know, prisoner of the moment and whatnot, but I thought that was the biggest test they were going to have, you know, attacking the middle of the field against Baltimore, trying to pick on, you know, Kyle Hamilton and, and, um, and Roquan Smith and all these players. Obviously not a winning formula, not a winning recipe in any way, shape, or form. Um, and they're just – their defense right now with Mike McDonald is, is, is impossible to mm-hmm. figure out on a week-to-week basis. They are so, so good. 
Do you ever do this, Brad, where the numbers might tell you something, but you're thinking that's true to this point, subject to change? For instance, you mentioned the nightcap last night on Christmas Day. How about Brock Purdy, right? The numbers have been really, really good to this point, but is there something in you that says, eh, I don't know. It's a different ball game when you're playing from behind as opposed to playing with the lead, as we saw again last night. It might be him or, or anybody else where you're not so beholden to the numbers, where you just think of it to this point as if it's just going to keep rewriting itself time and time again, where it, it might change in the not-too-distant future. Do you think about it as far as teams or players along those lines? Absolutely. No, 110%. I feel like that's a big thing of what we do, you know, particularly looking at, at gambling elements. So, you know, one for him that always jumped out was his turnover-worthy play rate well, was far higher than his actual turnover rate. Um, and he's not, like, terrible in that category, you know, but he still is a middle of the pack in, in the amount of plays that we deem are dropped interceptions or put ball in harm's way, could have been picked off, um, and just weren't for the first, you know, 10 weeks of the season. So, again, I'm not saying we knew he was going to throw four interceptions last night, but you know, there is always variance there. And then a second one, too, is quarterback performance under pressure is extremely variant. It's not a stable metric in any way, shape, or form. There are, of course, some quarterbacks, you know, like a Lamar Jackson last night, a Patrick Mahomes, etc. Josh Allen always shows up pretty well there. But even him and all the greats, it swings wildly. Um, and Purdy also is really good against pressure. But you see Trevor Williams go down last night, the best offensive line on the team by far. You mentioned, you know, that team now trying to play from behind, which they haven't done a whole lot of this season, um, and it caused a lot of problems. So, yeah, those are always the big ones. You kind of, you know, is this team getting away with turnovers or, or potential turnovers? Um, and then I guess the last piece there on the flip side, is too, is there was that stretch for the Broncos. They won, I don't know, say five, four or five games in a row. They recovered 13 fumbles in a four or five game stretch. Yeah. And you're sitting there saying, that's not going to continue. That is not a sustainable formula uh, at all. And that was the Houston game. It was before the Houston game. I noticed that they lost that game and obviously lost at home to New England this past weekend uh, because a lot of those things turned in the other direction. Uh, what do you pay the closest attention to from a gambling perspective as it relates to numbers, right? What do you really put stock in? Yeah, that's a, that's a far-reaching and, and ranging question. So there's so much there. You know, I did start the show kind of talking about Indy and their, you know, EPA per play, which is, you know, an, an efficiency metric on offense and defense that adds context uh, to, you know, two-yard gain on third and one is more valuable than a two-yard gain on first and ten. Um, so, so that's super important. Success rate, also a very important metric. So it really does come back down to, you know, try to not look at the box scores, try to not look at the final scores, but look at how teams are performing on a play-by-play basis. Um, you know, again, some variance, too. I mentioned earlier with Philadelphia. They, they were scoring a lot of points, but uh, you look at drives of 60-plus yards, they were kind of middle of the pack the first eight weeks because um, they had, you know, some timely turnovers, and they did a good job of, of, of you know, scoring touchdowns down in the red zone um, and not kicking field goals. So, But you want to see teams that are not only efficient on a play-to-play basis, but also on a series-to-series basis. Are they advancing the ball you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 yards um, and, and scoring in that manner? Because <laughs> it's, it's more sustainable over time. You know, before you go, Brad, we were having a, a brief conversation about movies. 
It just came up with a, an interview I did last hour. I feel like we need PFF-like stats when it comes to movies, right? All we get is, like, Rotten Tomatoes, and boom, done. I, don't we need more analysis numbers-wise when it comes to movies? I think we do. I love that. I couldn't agree more with you. Yeah, like, you know, if it was a comedy, you kind of check out, you know, the last per minute, is it spaced out or is it, you know, are there stretches of where you're cracking up, but then it's boring for half an hour? Is it more consistent? You know, all the advanced data and analytics on, on movies, you know, for Christmas movies like a Home Alone, you know, I think it would have a super high rate. You're getting prank after prank after prank from Kevin McAllister. Yeah, I, I'm with you. If, you. if you start that website, let me know. A PFF for movies, huh? Let's make it happen. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I, I think it's a winning formula, man. Well, Brad, it was great to visit with you, man. Happy holidays again. Enjoy the socks and hope we can chat again sometime soon. <laughs> Sounds great. Happy holidays. I want to welcome in Greg Rakestraw, host of the Colts post game show. It's from the ISC Sports Network. You know, um, Rake, myself and James, we're big metal guys. And uh, we just come back with, uh, I'm broken from Pantera. And I got to ask, where does metal rank for you on the, uh, like the genre scale? Like, where do you slot it? Do you put it number one or is it like fourth between, I don't know, whatever you get down with, yacht rock and, uh, you know, blues? I don't know. Where do you rate metal? Ahead of yacht rock and blues, um, <laughs> behind hip hop and R&B. So it would be on the podium but I'm not sure in the gold medal position. How about that? That's pretty good. You know, I'll settle for the podium. In this day and age, podium for medal? I'll take that every single time. Some people have it in their, their bottom podium, if there is such a thing. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah, oh, gosh, so, I freaking hate it. So in my generation, you know, sophomore years when Nirvana happened. So I, I, was, I was getting the very end of ACDC with Razor's Edge before everything took a flannel direction from a rock standpoint. So grew up around a lot of metal, occasionally spun some Pantera at my days at another radio station in town while I was just cutting my teeth in sports talk radio. So the last time I played a music DJ, it was alternative rock with a, a twinge of metal mixed in. Wow. Okay. Are, do you remember some of the Pantera songs you played? Um, I'm embarrassed myself if I name a song that's that's not uh, Pantera. Walk is Pantera, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm sure you played okay, that good. one. Yeah, I was having a nervous moment going, uh, "Dancing Mother." Hey, that's not Pantera. <laughs> that's right. So yeah. Thankfully, at least I named a Pantera song. <laughs> no, no doubt. Okay, so hey, listen, if we dive into the Colts, um, I, I was thinking about this. Well, well, we'll start with this: the offensive line. What is up with the Colts offensive line where I know Pittman Jr. was out and that had a dramatic effect on the Colts offense collectively, including the running game. But if you go game by game, there are times where the Colts run it with great success. There are games where they can't run it a lick. Why has it been so inconsistent with them up front? I'm not sure. It's not sure it's it's as much offensive line play as it is I think this team, when they're successful, does so from a scheme standpoint. I, I really think that it's a lot of game plan, a lot of play design. Um, the obvious answer is also Braden Smith not being there. Uh, and, and, you know, this was, this was kind of a rough matchup when Blake, Blake, when, uh, Blake Freeland is out there, who's done some good things, but he has to do a lot as a rookie, probably has played more as a rookie uh, than was expected. 
Um, obviously, Ryan Kelly's been out of the lineup a couple of different times, you know, due to injury. Ryman has had more good than bad, has had some bad at, at times this year as well. Um, I do think the Pittman absence, uh, you know, uh, his absence was massive in this game because basically Atlanta is going to load up seven or eight in the box and say, okay, we don't think your other wide receivers can do damage. Where once you have a Pittman on the field, you're probably pulling one guy out of out of the linebacker defensive line level to be able to make plays. So this team has been up and down like that. I think it's because it's what they are. They're an average football team. Sometimes you see greatness, sometimes you don't. But I do think that the Pittman absence very much had a cascading effect on everything on the offensive side of the ball on Sunday afternoon. No, I absolutely agree with you on that. How about uh, it's a little outside the box, but Lamar Jackson last night did his thing against the 49ers, might win his second MVP. And Adam Schefter over the weekend put out an interesting tweet about how the Ravens were never approached by another team when he made his trade request and threw out there that Carolina traded multiple first-round picks for Bryce Young, yet no one made a serious push to trade two first-round picks for Lamar Jackson. If you look at that from the Colts' point of view, do you look and say, ah, man, that was a missed opportunity, or do you say, for whatever reason or reasons, nah, that wouldn't have been the right move to make? Colts were at a reload point in terms of because the, the, the rotating door had been there so much the last six years, this franchise had to go get a young quarterback. Then that young quarterback gets hurt four or five weeks in. And again, what this group has done without him has been, if not remarkable, it's certainly been surprising. You know, I, I thought the television broadcast was great in saying, you know, with this being the year of the backup quarterback, no backup quarterback had more wins this year than Gardner Minshew heading into Sunday. But big picture, even if a, even a player like Lamar Jackson, once you had gone through the turnstiles of Jacoby Brissett, of Philip Rivers, of Carson Wentz, of Matt Ryan, it was like, hey, you need to get a guy that's going to be here long term. And for as great as the Lamar show has been, the knock on him the last couple, three years has been not playing this time of year or not playing in the playoffs due to health reasons. Thankfully for him and the Ravens, that's not been the case so far this year. I frankly hope for him and the Ravens that continues. Um, It's the only logic I can make of no team taking a flyer on that deal. But at the same time, it's also not surprising because I've always thought that draft picks, you know, you want to say in one sense they're overvalued in this league. Then again, look at the quagmire the Carolina Panthers are in where you make a trade for the number one pick and now you don't have that number one pick the next year and you think you're setting your franchise back years. So, But the, the best example, Brian, I can give you of the value of draft picks and the way that draft picks tend to be overvalued, in my, in my estimation, Marshall Falk hmm. got a return of a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick. Hmm. Marshall freaking Falk <laughs> got a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick. Tells you the draft picks can be a little bit overvalued at times. That's crazy, too, again, from a Colts perspective, how it's – shook out so far where the Panthers they make the move they make they trade all of that compensation maybe including the number one overall pick in the 24 draft meanwhile in the same division as the Colts the Texans stand pat at number two overall 
And we have more answers about C.J. Stroud at this point than we do Anthony Richardson. Why couldn't it have worked the other way around where, I don't the Texans move up or the Panthers move up for C.J. Stroud and the Texans have Bryce Young? Like That, that sucked the way it worked out from the Colts at least one and two in that draft, right? Well, you, you kind of knew that the Colts had to get to one because they weren't getting to two. And this was the year when there wasn't when, – when the thought, hey – there's two really good quarterbacks, and then there is what Anthony Richardson is, and then there was the drop to Will Levis. It was, the Houston Texans had the easiest spot in the draft. It was, hey, we'll take whichever guy you're not going to take. You, 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 you claim the guy that you want, whether that's the Bears, whether that's, whether that's the, the Panthers that moved in. So when it was thought, hey, if you really want to get up to one to get your guy, you knew you couldn't get up to two. Um, again, even in a small sample size, I think Richardson can really play. I think we saw enough in the minimal amount of time he played. He wanted to play more, of course you did. There's going to be more growing pains next year because he didn't play enough. But the sample size to me was big enough to know he never looked overwhelmed by anything. Um, Stroud can really play. I, I think we knew that going in. But I think the Colts were content to sit there at four and felt whether Richardson was their guy or somebody else fell to him, as long as they got that quarterback they felt they could build around, they'd be okay with that. And I do think that's the way it's played out. He's Greg Rakestraw joining us here on The Fan. How about with Michael Pittman Jr. missing yesterday with the concussion issue? Uh, was cleared but had a headache, so was sat out. And the Colts offense, you could see the effect of not having him out there. Do you think that makes it more likely that they re-up with him in the offseason? Oh, I think we have long since passed that point. Uh, he's he's going to be back here, even if that means they have to franchise tag him, which I, which I don't think they will. I mean, you know, you kind of got to that point with Jonathan Taylor, but JT still had another year left to play out. Uh, Michael Pittman does not. And so, um, given the year that he has had, he was fourth in the league in receptions going into that game. Um, he has been the ultimate tough guy in terms of getting tough catches, you know, picking up yards, uh, moving the chains. No, I, I, I think Sunday magnifies his importance to this team, but uh, I, I think we had long since passed the point of he is unquestionably a number one receiver, and he's clearly Chris Ballard's M.O. has been to pay his own, and so I, I think Michael Pittman Jr. is getting a new deal at some point in time this offseason. Interesting. So yesterday you might have said no effect. They were going to get him get that done regardless, or do you say that just strengthens it even more? No, I mean I, again, I, I, you, you've already checked the box. <laughs> that, yeah. box that box has been checked numerous times during the course of the season. What that what that did is just give you. I mean, let's face it. You know, we're we're a day past Christmas. So um, you know, what was it? The uh, you know the Christmas past, Christmas future. That would be what Christmas future looks like without Michael Pittman. Nobody likes that dream. Make sure you bring him back next year. Are you a fan of the movie Ghost of Girlfriends Past? Have you seen that one? I, I, I thankfully can claim that I have not seen that one. I'm probably better for it. You know what? Uh, it's not bad. I got to be honest with you. One of those rom-coms, pretty good flick, Greg. You know, if you lose a bet or something and have to see it, in your back pocket you might be thinking, that's not a loss at all. Because my guy, no, vouched for it. It's really not that bad, I'm telling you. Okay, maybe our music taste might be, might be more similar than our movie taste, let's put it that way. <laughs> All 
All right. Um, how about this? I was thinking the three most valuable Colts this season. We saw the effect of no Pittman Jr. yesterday. Where would this team be if Minshew went down, right? Like, right. So do you have Pittman Jr. and Minshew in your top three? And if so, who's the third uh, Colts player that you have is the most valuable? You could make an argue, a, a somewhat of an argument for Grover Stewart for the time that he missed yeah. and what it meant to the run defense. Now, that being said, the run defense wasn't too great with him you know, in, in the game on Sunday. So maybe you would say Zaire Franklin. Maybe you'd put EJ Speed in that. But clearly, I, I think Minshew and Pittman go one-two uh, because of how things have played out this year. Yeah, right. Um, what's the deal with the Colts? Do you have more questions about the Colts' offensive line or the Colts' defense at times where uh, that game against the Falcons, they were good in spurts, and then you look up and you're like, they gave up 400 yards to the Falcons. Right. So, which do you, which are you scratching your head more by, the defense collectively or that offensive line? What I would say is this, is there, there is a higher bar for the offensive line. Again, having a rookie right tackle did not help you. Uh, and I realize that Freeland's played a lot this year, but, but he's the backup for a reason. Braden Smith is a guy who extended a couple of years ago for a reason. His absence is, is a difference maker for this team. And the other thing I would say is this, when you didn't have Pittman in the game, you didn't have Zach Moss in the game, this is not a team that has a great deal of margin for error. Big picture, this is still still part of a build. Um, I want to see them be a, be a playoff team. They obviously have it in their control. You win those last two games, most every scenario points to this team being a, a playoff team. And I've said all year long, I think 10 gets you in, and that's exactly the scenario that could play out here. But still, big picture, you are in the midst of a rebuild. And so it's far from a perfect team. There, 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 there's, some, there's some areas of the team you feel great about. There's some areas of this team you don't feel great about or you know you have to add to. Like you've got to add wide receiver depth. You've got to add more cornerback depth. You know, you, you, you're going to be young at quarterback, quarterback going in, and then, you know, Dallas Flowers gets hurt and you're playing – you know, you're, you're playing rookie-rookie on, on, on both sides. Now you're young at the safety position because of Julian Blackman getting hurt on Sunday as well. In other words, this is not a finished product. So you're going to have some cases of two or three steps forward and two or three steps back. I, I think it's just kind of the, the nature of this team. Hopefully you win these last two games, be a playoff team, and carry that momentum into the offseason. But you have to acknowledge, again, this is – this is probably a middle-of-the-pack football team. And so because of that, you're going to have some high points and you're going to have some low points. And we've seen all of that over the course of the last three weeks for this football team. Greg Regstraw joining us here on The Fan. Last one for you. You mentioned the movie thing. I, I just have to get a sense of where your head is. Your personal top five movies. You're not making a claim that this this movie is in the top. No, just your personal top five list. What are a couple of the movies in your top five? Well, usually I, I like to think of things in like box sets. So somewhere like if I could pick a favorite five of the Fast and Furious, maybe, you know, maybe like even in odds because there's been like 38 of those movies at this <laughs> point uh, or like the entire police academy set. Um, but maybe to bring it back to the conversation we've been having, I would throw rounders in there at some point. Oh, that's a great one. 
Yeah. Because we need to get to Teddy KGB time for Michael Pittman Jr. Oh, man, Pay no that doubt. Man. Yeah. Pay that man his money. That's the way he's played so far this year. Hanging around, hanging around, yeah. Oh, Rounders is a tremendous call by you. Very nice. And are you go you go odd or even on the Fast and Furious movies? Odd? Actually, actually, I go the first one, and I'm good. I think I figured out the plot <laughs> one from the first one. So um, there, there, there was an age where I used to travel on the road to the radio with IUPUI, and this is before the days everybody has their own personal you know, DVD player, which then morphed into watching your phone or downloading stuff, whatever the case may be. In other words, you know, we would have like a, a, a VCR or a, or, or a DVD player like at the front of the bus. And so it was like a fight as to what movies you're going to watch on the bus. So uh, the beginning of the Fast and Furious series was during that time for me. So I think having seen the first one a couple of times on bus trips, I think I was good for the rest of the entire catalog. Let's put it that way. Man, that's funny. Well, hey, good stuff, Ray. Great to catch up with you, man. Happy holidays and hope to talk to you again sometime soon. You got it, Brian. Take care.